With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Maybe I'm crazy, but vegan cheese is just, it's not real cheese. It's not acceptable. Maybe I'm crazy, maybe I'm crazy, maybe I'm not. Welcome to the Maybe I'm Crazy podcast. I'm Joy Taylor. Thanks for joining us. Hope that you are uh, staying safe, that you're healthy and getting through quarantine um, well. Thank you for checking us out and you know keeping things a little normal for us. We appreciate it. This week, we talked to Jordan Palmer. Very excited to talk to him. He is training Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert and a lot of other prospects that are going to be entering into the draft. And I have a lot of questions. He's like the quarterback guru, uh, works alongside TJ Hushmanzada, who is down there training a bunch of receivers. So he knows a lot about those quarterbacks as well. I'm excited to talk to him. Of course, we'll have T with the culture report, Heller, Win It or Quit It, and Donnie's going to be helping me out with high key, low key. But let's get started with Jordan Palmer. All right, very excited to have Jordan Palmer on the Maybe I'm Crazy podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. You're a, a Fox family member and on the herd with us a bunch, but I'm um, glad you're doing well. How is everything in, in quarantine? Uh, it's different. Um, I should be on the field a lot more than I am right now, but instead I'm in a studio shooting content. Um, either way, I figured out a way to coach guys. Uh, and I definitely will say I got two little boys at home. So in some ways this has been great to kick it and go on adventures and all that stuff and have time to, to decompress. So how's, how is the training? Have you been able to do any on field training at all? Um, limited. So I'm supposed to have a lot of NFL vets out here right now. Um, obviously a lot of guys canceled trips last second and uh, I'm supposed to be having camps. Um, I keep summit camps, which is from sixth grade to seniors in high school with college counselors and then, and most of them NFL counselors as well. So those are obviously canceled. I'm not having, um, big group gatherings. Uh, but a couple of my vets that are in town, we're finding ways to work out with very small groups, whether it be on the beach or a kid's soccer field. It's funny. I, I, I live in Orange County, Southern California. I've got some buddies in the skateboarding industry. And a lot of my workouts with NFL starting quarterbacks right now feel a lot like the stories about how skateboarders film videos. You know, like they're skating until the security guard kicks them off. Like, I feel like I'm having like NFL workouts right now until the security dude comes and says, beat it. So um it's uh something to laugh about uh and you know with so much uncertainty about when these guys are going to actually get back to work i don't think there's a ton of pressure for these dudes to be throwing four or five days a week um i think they've got time spending a lot of time with arm care working on um you know more mobility stuff in their bodies as opposed to just throwing timing routes to guys down the field so there's stuff to do there's work to be done uh, it's just uh, being creative and, and improvising a little bit so for anyone who doesn't know exactly what you do, because you're you've kind of become uh, like the quarterback Yoda a little bit. <laughs> um, so how did you? What exactly do you do with guys, and how did you get into this? It's your company's quarterback or QB Summit. Yeah, um, you know, it started with me as I grew up around really kind of like the godfather of training quarterbacks, and his name is Bob Johnson. His son Rob played like 11 years in the league. People know Rob Johnson played in Buffalo and Jacksonville. 
But Bob was my high school coach. My brother Carson is five years older than me, and Carson started training with Bob when he was in seventh grade. So I was a little guy. Um, Bob created the Elite 11, which, for those who don't know, is a program for the top seniors in high school. And call it conservatively, 80% of the quarterbacks in the NFL went through it on any given year. And, um, well, they started that, and I've it's been around 23 years. I've been to every single one. I was like a little sixth grader shagging balls and filling up water cups. So I was around that my whole life. When I was playing in the league, I played seven years. I would run the regionals for that around the country. And, uh, and then when I was in high school, Bob trained guys for the draft. So I'd get out of school at lunch. I'd go down to the field, and I'd be running routes and catching balls for Joey Harrington and Kurt Kittner. And so I've been around draft training. I'd sit in the meetings. I'd skip my sixth period photo class, and I'd sit in draft training. And then when I was playing in the league during draft training, I wasn't throwing balls in January, but I'd kind of go run routes because it was a good way to stay in shape and also look at wideouts and tight ends and be like, ooh, I like this guy. I like that guy. So I've just always been around draft training, and I've always been around development of quarterbacks. Now, I played a long time too, but uh, I don't, I'm not doing what I'm doing now because I played. I'm doing it because I've been around the development side. So I've coached. You know, the 10,000 hour rule, I've had that a long time ago. And uh, and I think the biggest thing for me is I realized at an early age that I can explain this better than I could do it. And I wish I could do it better. My brother's bank account is like completely different than mine. <laughs> he could do it really well. And uh, and my, my thing is explaining it. So I just love pouring into guys. I work with kids from sixth grade through their senior year in high school. Uh, I've trained a lot of the top quarterbacks for the last few years for the draft. And um, I'm on pace here, probably through next year. Uh, a third of the starters in the NFL um, will be have will be guys that have gone through my program. Yeah, Elite Eleven has really changed. It's changed the league. I think it's 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 kind of innovated how everyone kind of evaluates quarterbacks and 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 a lot of the positions going into college and into the league now. Also, like the relationships that you must make with these guys and and just around the game of football are are probably incredible. Yeah, I mean it's. I was looking the other day, somebody wants to buy a house. I'm going through it, talking through it, because I have remodeled two houses now. You know, this is about what it costs to demo. This is what, that's like a client of mine. I'm like, we're like looking at houses together. You know what I mean? Um, so there's a lot of ways where I, I get to show up. And, and that's why, um, like, people, you know, with a lot of guys who do what I do, you know, QB Whisperer, QB Guru, QB, all these different things. Like, I'm just a consultant, but the reality is I'm kind of like the older vet in the room. So I think if you grab like 100 quarterbacks and, and probably any position and you ask those guys, where'd you learn the most from? They'd all probably reference an older player before they'd reference a coach, right? Like Carson would say John Kitna, right? And I would say Carson before I would say Mark Tressman or Ken Zampezi, two guys that coached me. And so I just think it's really common because like, the vets, if they're older and they know their stuff, like they know more than you and they can share it with you, but they also completely understand who they're talking to and how to explain it. And so for me, I'm really just kind of like the older vet in the room. And so a lot of stuff comes up in conversations and that's my favorite part is not even just the mechanic side of things, the life side of things, family, drama, girls, housing, money. Like I love weighing in on that stuff because I may not have necessarily experienced it, but I, I either, I always say like, I can either, I either got an answer for you or I can get you an answer, or I can connect you with somebody who's got a great answer. So to you, what really makes a great NFL quarterback? Not a good NFL quarterback, there's lots of good NFL quarterbacks. What makes a great one? My eye goes to two things. Um, to In terms of the draft, evaluating, because I'll answer it differently. In terms of evaluating 
the great quarterback versus the good quarterback, um, it's two things. It's confidence and maturity. Now, confidence does not mean, and it's written behind me because I'm literally shooting content. I'm about to drop a ton of content on QBSummit.com. I'm kind of pivoting my whole business right now to being a subscription-based rad um, platform where everyone can learn. And so I'm literally shooting a piece of content on confidence. And um, so this is a great break. (laughs) And uh, confidence is the most important trait. Because let's say that um, a guy goes and has the best off season ever, as if that's a thing, right? Like outworked everybody this off season. That doesn't mean anything when the season starts. Like that doesn't mean that they spot you seven points or you get to start off the game with a touchdown, right? What it means is that you have hopefully developed enough confidence through all those reps and all that work to be able to make those throws and make those plays in the game. So really the, the root of all the decisions guys make, I think, stem from confidence. And so, but confidence is not hereditary or God-given. I believe that it's a muscle that you can develop. And it's a muscle that if not worked on and not poured into correctly, it can atrophy and it can become irrelevant. It can go away too. And there's levels to it. There's confidence, but then there's, but there's two kinds of confidence. There's um, unwavering self-generated confidence, meaning like, it doesn't matter what anybody says. I believe this about myself. I don't need it. It's independent of the environment. We're good. We're bad. Everybody thinks I'm the man. Everybody thinks I suck. It doesn't matter. This is what I believe about myself. Right. And then there's reactionary confidence, which really is just like, it's completely dependent on the environment. If everybody says I'm the man, shoot, they might be right. If everybody says I'm a bum, I start going, are they right? My bum. So confidence is the most important trait. And, you know, you look at Joe Burrow. I haven't been around one more confident than that. Deshaun is the closest thing. Um, I trained Deshaun Watson for the draft, worked with him for a long time. Like, that's the closest thing. But there's such different personalities, and their confidence comes from such different things that it's, it's hard for me to even compare them. Um, the second thing is maturity. And then maturity is not tucking in your shirt and, you know, being on time and having manners. Maturity is handling new crazy situations as if you've, handled that, as if you've been through them before. So, again, Joe Burrow. The craziness of last year, like completely life-changing in really like three or four months. And the way that he's handled the whole process, I go, look, that's not my opinion. That's a fact. This dude's mature. So how do you, because to me, I don't really, I subscribe to everything that you say. I don't believe fundamentally that you can be great at anything without a somewhat... Um, I don't want to say God-like level of confidence, but you have to have a certain level of confidence and belief in yourself that you can accomplish something that very few people in the world can accomplish or will ever, ever accomplish. So mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with athletes being confident because that's just the, that's how you become successful to me. But there's, there's a somewhat of a, a public opinion that you're supposed to be like extremely humble or have some sort of... Um, uh, contrition when you're dealing with like the media or, or anything else, which I don't personally believe, but I think, you know, we can both agree that's, that's a consensus amongst uh, the public. So what's the difference between confidence and uh, cocky, I guess, or what someone would consider a co- uh, an overconfident or cocky or arrogant uh, athlete? What's the line there? Well, I, I just think the common denominator, the, the thing that separates those things is insecurity. Now you've been around a lot of superstar athletes in a lot of different sports, as have I. Um, but the ones that I've been around and played with some of them, the super famous, super cocky guys, they're super insecure. I'm not going to name names. They're super insecure. They're rattled with insecurity. 
it comes from, I have to project this because I don't, I'm not hundred percent sure about it myself and my, I'm not a psychologist here by any means. Um, but that's the common honor that I've seen. I do a lot of stuff in the surf industry. I do a lot of stuff in the skate, you know, different industries, um, outside of quarterbacking and another life that I have in marketing. And, uh, it's just true across the board and you get into Hollywood and it's even more glaring. Um, but I think it's rooted in insecurity. And so like the antithesis of the confidence that I'm talking about is insecurity. If you're really confident, if you have unwavering self-generated confidence, like you are completely secure in not only what you're doing, but who you are and who you're going to be if things good or bad happen. And, you know, you see like when you look at, when you say like this quarterback is really confident, but he's cocky, <laughs> usually, usually it's, but he's cocky and not that good. Like, it's just like, that's just what ends up happening. And the cockiness, I think, comes from the insecurity to drives people to go, oh, I have to project these things to tell everybody I believe this about myself. As opposed to, like, my brother is is a perfect example. And I'm, like, drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm super biased. He's, like, my favorite athlete ever, right? You probably feel the same way about your brother. But my brother is one of those examples of giant superstar who's super, super, super confident. Now, nobody would know at the level that I do how confident he was as a player. But everyone would say the same thing, that he's super humble. So how can you be those two things? And it is, is that he believed these things about himself. He doesn't have to tell everybody that he believed them. He was completely secure enough in himself to go, you know what? I threw the pick, my bad. I'll own it, even though it's not his fault. Oh, reason we lost is me. Like, those guys can do that. Like, I think Joe Burrow can do that. Sam Darnold can do that. Josh Allen can do that. Patrick Mahomes can do that. A lot of these guys that I've been around a lot, like, they're securing themselves enough to be able to say, I'll do that. Jared Goff goes, Blame this year on me. Sure, do that. Because he's going to reload. He thinks he's going to win the Super Bowl next year. But he's secure enough to go, you know what, just blame me. It's fine. Because he doesn't really believe that. So I'm a huge Joe Burrow fan. I, I absolutely fell in love with Joe Burrow this year. I think he is by far and away the best prospect in this draft. And, and the gap is not close for, for multiple reasons. And that's no diss to anybody else who's in the draft. I just think he's, he's just better. Um, but to me, I measure things like how you perform in the biggest moments. Um, who are you getting these wins against? Again, how you handle yourself when you get those wins and just your overall playmaking ability. Like I'm a, I'm a quarterback, um, I, I don't know, elitist, I guess you could say or something like, I think you just have to have the guy. Like if you don't have the guy, it's cute and you can have a great team and a great organization and, and like a great standing in your community, but you're not going to win the game or have a dynasty if you don't have the guy. It's just all you can do. You can do good, not great. I agree with you. So to me, Burrow is so obviously that guy. But what is it that people? What is the resistance with Burrow? I guess give me an example of the resistance. Okay, Maybe so I'm for like so okay so okay so I'll needs. I'll do that then. I'll I'll be the 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 negative uh, Burrow person. So. Like the idea that he's only done this for a year. Why is that not a problem? So I look for patterns. Um, in high school, he went to school in Athens, Ohio. It's a small school. Um, his That team had never won, ever. And then they lost like in the championship or something like that or the game before, like, whatever. All of a sudden they won. And he's player of the year and all that stuff. You go, all right, but that's high school. Who cares? Um, I think there's more to the Ohio State story. I think – a lot of people really wanted Dwayne Haskins to, to start. Um, I'm, that's not coming from him. That's coming from multiple, me looking at the entire situation. I believe that when it happened before I ever met Joe Burrow. Um, and that's fine. He was the 15th pick in the draft last year. Um, but it didn't not work for him at Ohio State. 
like, he didn't like play in a game and fail and they they benched him right. right it's just he just straight up didn't get an opportunity so then when he did get an opportunity to go to LSU he flipped a team and did something that had never been done before at that university right and really something had never been done before period okay so he did it in high school he did it in college does that mean he's automatically going to do it in the NFL of course not but this is starting to look like a pattern and so then you go okay well how does that happen and I think there's a couple of ways that you can flip around an organization and trust me when I tell you I've had this conversation with all kinds of guys like the guy that just won the Super Bowl like the dude who lost in the Super Bowl last year like one of these guys are going to be in the Super Bowl in the next couple of years. What's happening in Buffalo? There's a couple of ways. There's a, a process to turning around an organization. Now, obviously, you've got to have the right decision makers. You can't, you know, there's elements outside of your control at play. But one, you've got to buy in. You have to be able to be the guy who says, hey, I'm involved in this. Two, you have to be able to be accountable to all of the things that you bought into. Right? You can't. Like, if you're going to talk about it, be about it. Same thing, right? You've got to be held accountable to those things. And then three, you've got to inspire other people to buy into what you bought into. And in that, you have to elevate their play and demand that they're consistently do that, which means you have to consistently do that. And Deshaun Watson did this at Clemson, and it was the first time they won a national championship. They always had first-round picks, right? They had a ton of first-round picks. Clemson's been putting dudes out, C.J. Spiller, right, dudes for years, but Deshaun flipped it for them, right? Barely lost his sophomore year, won it his junior year, and then they won it again after he left, right? And so that type of foundational change comes from, I think, those three elements. I've heard Dabo talk about it. Um, and so look at what happened in Buffalo. Look at what happened in Kansas City. And sure, talent is, is awesome. But if you have the ownership and all this stuff in place, if you can do those three things, now it's just about getting the right pieces around you and – I look at Joe and I go, he's shown a pattern of doing this. And from a confidence and maturity standpoint, I already talked about that. Like he's, he's like, you know, I've never really seen anybody like this before. Um, and so I just say he's in position a, to be able to do that. I don't care if he goes to the Bengals or the dolphins or any, whatever team he goes to, he's in a position to do it. Um, but he has all these great players around him. How, I mean, how good can he really be? Because LSU has all these, um, like the best offensive line and all these great receivers and Edwards Hilaire. So like, is he really that good or is everyone around him? In 2018, LSU led college football and dropped passes. Think about that. In 2019, they did a bunch of stuff that had never been done before, but it was always, it was all positive stuff on the other column. Right. And so a lot of, there was a lot of pretty well documented, but the way that Joe worked with his guys, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, these guys are two and three star guys out of high school. This is not Jerry Judy, Ruggs, the other dude who were five star receivers. I'm at the Nike opening every year, um, the top 150 high school players in the country. And you can walk around there every single year and go, uh, first round, first round, first round, first, like you can, you can call it out, right? And all of those Bama receivers, had been going to the draft and been going first round for a while, but LSU, I mean, those guys really turned around. I mean, those guys were not the best receivers. They're coming into the draft as some of the best receivers, but that was not the case before they got there. So again, elevating the players around them. Clyde Edwards Hilaire was not anybody, not a player that anyone was talking about last year. He was not even the starter of the year before he was too short or too whatever and watch him go become Darren Sproles in the league. But it's elevating the players around you. And then from the offensive line's perspective, 
Uh, I don't think they have any linemen that are ranked really high in the draft. They were ranked really high as an offensive line. But the whole season, Joe, Ray ran basically from week four on, they were in five-man protection, meaning they've only got five guys blocking, the five linemen. So they're getting five guys out in a route every time. You got five linemen, you got Joe, you got five other dudes. So that means every single time they're getting five guys out in the route, which puts pressure on the defense, but with only five guys to block, there's a lot of different looks that the defense can bring that could be problematic for LSU unless your quarterback can see it like an NFL guy, dial it up, slide this, borrow that guy, kick that guy over, get it out quick. So they just had all the answers. And I look at that and I go, that is completely transferable to the NFL. That's what makes Drew Brees and Tom Brady great. It's not that they run around, hurdle dudes, and whip it 60 yards across the field. No. They decipher information quickly, and they get the ball out on time with accuracy. But, um, but he's not that big, and he doesn't have the strongest arm. I think he's big enough. I think he's uh, more athletic than everybody thinks. Um, and I think that he's got an above-average arm in terms of the top guys in the NFL. Um, the arm strength thing is just uh, it's just the most over-scrutinized Elements. I think if we list the top 10 quarterbacks all time and then we could somehow put a list together of arm strength all time, they'd all, it would average out. They'd just be right in the middle of the pack. Now it's easy to say right now because Mahomes is the best in the league and Aaron has been the best in the league and those guys have absolute howitzers. But Tom Brady doesn't, Drew Brees doesn't, Philip Rivers doesn't, Eli and Peyton certainly didn't. There's just all these all time greats. Romo was like a slightly above average. It's just a bunch of dudes who, you know, they're above average, they're good, but it's about throwing the ball with anticipation, timing, and accuracy. And if you can do those things, but you can't throw one as hard as the guys with the big arms, then it doesn't really matter. Um, Mahomes is just super sexy because he does all of it, um, but that I don't know that that's the new norm. Um, by the way, I don't believe any of those things. I'm just quoting people that are critical um, okay, but the one thing that does concern me about being wrong about Joe is that he will probably end up going to Cincinnati, and I I don't take that organization very seriously as contenders, which I don't, I, I don't think they've given us a lot of evidence that they are a, a, an organization that's run very well. I mean, Marvel, Marvel Lewis had a great run there, and I don't think he gets enough credit for what he was able to do with that organization. But yeah, they've been dysfunctional over the years. I mean, they have the number one overall pick in the draft for a reason. So that's a lot even for the guy to overcome. And, and, and unlike situations like Boomer Sison kind of compared Burrow to LeBron this week. And it's like, to me, the NBA comparison to the NFL is just it's too extreme. There's way too many extra factors. You can have an unbelievable player go to an organization that doesn't know what they're doing, and that's their career, especially early on with quarterbacks. Can he overcome or can he turn around an organization like Cincinnati? I don't know. Um, I played there for three years. Um, probably know as much about that organization as probably anybody. Um, but to me, the NFL, and the way that I explain this to people is like, did you watch Game of Thrones? Yes. Okay, so Game of Thrones, right? Bunch of seasons, bunch of people died, bunch of people wore crowns, all this stuff. The whole thing came down to two women. Came down to two people. Right. It was Cersei. And it was Daenerys. Like I don't, when it was all said and done, there's a bunch of amazing characters on there. But it really, what really mattered was those two characters, right? And I think the way that the NFL works is there's a handful of ownership groups, 
And it's honestly, it's the ones who've won most of the Super Bowls recently. It's Bob Kraft. It's Pittsburgh. It's the Giants, right? It's these classic ownership groups. And they kind of are always going to get an at-bat. Or it's going to come down to, you know, one of those teams. I have those Seattle in there of late, right? Right. Um, and so, in my opinion, you're either in that group or you're not in that group. And there's certainly people knocking on the door, right, that are almost there ready for their first one. I would say Kansas City, right? They just won it for the first time in 50 years. So 12 months ago, I would have said they're knocking on the door. They're about to get one in the next few. They got one, so now they're in that group. So the Bengals have not won one. So they've been to one a long time ago. So they're not in that group. So the way I look at it is, how do you get in that group? And you made the comment earlier. This whole thing comes down to, do you have a dude or not? So once you have a dude, you're now, in my opinion, you're knocking on the door, okay? Now what you have to have is great direction and the ability to build around that dude. So it's not just O-line and receivers, it's all of it. How do you build, how does the quarterback room who are you putting in the room with him? Who is giving him the majority of his information? Is it coming from the coordinator? Is it coming from the quarterback coach? In Cincinnati, I don't know, Zach Taylor is a quarterback guy. I would assume, maybe it's the head coach, right? Um, who is uh, who is blocking for him? Who's the O-line coach? What's he doing around that guy? From a defensive standpoint, one of the, the best things you can do for a quarterback psyche is create turnovers and, uh, and get sacks on third down. So pass rush. That's got to be a huge emphasis on the draft. In the draft and free agency is pass rush. Um, and then all the other pieces around it are kind of ancillary pieces, but you have to start to build around that guy. And so for me to say Cincinnati, he can't do it in Cincinnati, I don't know. Um, they haven't taken anybody number one since they took my brother in 03. And it's been a minute. And they had a couple good runs, too. Um, that, for me to compare, I played for Marvin Lewis. It was It's a completely different franchise now. I mean, Marvin was so involved in everything. I don't know how they do it with Zach. It might be worse. It might be better. I don't know. Um, but I know this. If they have Joe, they've got that first piece. They're knocking on the door because they got a dude. Now they got to put the pieces. And just look around the league. So look at Patrick. Look at who they got at wideout. Look at what they've spent at, at, at O-line and tight end. And then what do they do address in the draft? They get Tyron Matthew with a safety in the back end who's a distance maker and then pass rush, right? Look at Baltimore. Those are the perfect tight ends and receivers to play with Lamar. Guys who came from spread offenses with fast quarterbacks who moved down the field. Guys, two of the, you know, Hollywood Brown, Mark Andrews from Oklahoma who played with Kyler and Baker, right? So you just look at these pieces and it all makes sense to build around the dude. So Baltimore, knocking. Kansas City, been knocking, won last year, right? So Cincinnati, can they turn that around? Um, I think that if they if they take Joe, they can absolutely build around him. Buffalo, another one, knocking. They got the dude, they're adding the pieces, they're knocking. I'm just, I'm holding out hope that the Dolphins give them like five first round picks or something <laughs> and move up and get him. I just think it'd be a better situation for him. Um, but, you know, I, he's probably going to end up in Cincinnati. All right. So really quickly, I want to ask you about a couple other guys. Um, obviously, the other guy in the conversation is Tua. Um, now, you aren't, you haven't worked directly with Tua, right? I have, yeah. I didn't oh, yeah? Draft, but uh, yeah, I've known him since uh, freshman year in high school is when I met him. Oh, wow, okay. As a freshman. So I, I like Tua, but I don't I don't love him um, for for a couple of different reasons. One, I mean, maybe it's like a it's the wrong mentality, and I need to get rid of it. But he did play at Alabama, um, which is like 
held against Joe that he played with these great players, but it's not held against Tua that he played with probably better players or more highly ranked players, at least when they went into Alabama. Um, but the most important thing that gives me pause is the injuries. I, I, I don't love the injuries. I, I think availability is a skill and it doesn't matter how talented you are. If you're not out there, you're not contributing. And at that position, it's just a huge liability. Now that said, if he's, a, if he's available and you need a quarterback, you have to take Tua. You don't, I don't, I, I can't envision you passing on, on Tua, even for someone like Justin Herbert, who may not have the health situation, but I have other questions about. Uh, am I wrong for having those reservations? No, I, I think it makes sense. I, so I 100% agree. Availability is the most important ability, more so than running ability or ability to read a defense or ability to lead a locker room. Ability, availability is the most important, for sure. Um, and I, I, I agree. I think it's a skill. Look, these guys get older. Um, quarterback becomes 12-month deal. Uh, I, my brother, for example, I mean, I think he averaged like over one surgery a year. Something. I mean, season ends like you're operating on something, you're rehabbing something. You don't wait. You don't give yourself a month off and then do that. You do it immediately. You get right into it. And it's just 12 months over and over and over again. Um, I certainly do not think with Tua that is a toughness issue at all. Right. It is strictly like bad luck or some areas of his body that need to be addressed. Um, I, toughness wise to as tough as they come. Um, but yeah, I think it's a real concern. It's a concern with all these guys. Uh, Albert Brewer had an interesting stat, um, that I saw and he named seven first round pick quarterbacks who had a major injury in college and had the exact same major injury in the NFL. It's an interesting stat. It was Sam Bradford. It was RG three, Deshaun Watson, Carson Wentz. I'm drawing a blank on a couple of the other ones. Um, that to me is interesting. It doesn't mean Tua is going to get hurt. The bigger question for me is what's the plan for Tua? Okay. Tua, from a talent perspective, can totally play week one. Like run around, throw the ball. Yeah, he's, um, he's amazing. But quarterbacks, and I've said this a lot, quarterbacks get really good at the things that they have to do to survive. So if you can run around and make plays and you got to do that to survive, you're going to do that. Peyton Manning was so good pre-snap at the end of his career and was so incapable of moving that he did so much pre-snap to get it in the perfect play because that's what he had to do to survive, right? And so if Tua has no off-season, if he has to play early, okay, with no off-season, assuming they guys just show up for training camp and then go play, and which means he's not going to necessarily know the offense to that extent that he would have if he had an off-season, and he's not going to understand the coverages and the protections that he would have if he had an off-season. It's not about how smart you are. It's just like a lot less hours of practice. Right. That's the case, and he goes in there, and he gets drafted high, which means he's on probably a lesser team. And if he has to play early, he's going to run around. He's not necessarily going to see it as quickly. Deshaun did this his rookie year, too. He's going to run around more. He's going to try and make more plays because he's capable. He's really, really good at that stuff. And if that happens, you open yourself up to injuries more often. And so I just look at it and I go, well, shoot, what's the plan for Tua? Because here's the other side. If a team like New England, if a team like New Orleans, if one of these teams who has a really established veteran starter, I think the Chargers, look, I love Tyrod Taylor. I think the dude in a good situation can play, right? I don't know that I use that high of a pick when I got Tyrod on the road. I, I, I want to put him on the field and see if he can play first. But even a place like that, if you can for sure – 
put Tua on the bench for a year and give him that whole year of sitting and watching and learning. And I think all these guys would be great sitting every year. But with Tua, if that's the plan, then I go, all right, that's a full two years of rehab to really strengthen that thing, really slow the game down, and let the athleticism just be something that he uses on an as-needed basis as opposed to on a only way to get a first down basis. Um, then I think you can take Tua really high and that he can be your guy. Yeah, I totally agree. I think uh, – I almost said San Diego. I think the Chargers – are the best situation for him. I like Tyrod a lot too. I think Tyrod could be your starter for two or three years, actually. Um, you're not, I, he's not a guy you're going to build the entire franchise around for the next 10, 15 years. Two would be that guy, but I would love the idea of Tua sitting behind someone like Tyrod, learning from him, a, a professional, a, a great player at that, who's probably just not had the, the opportunity to just go do that and have his team. I think that's the perfect situation for him. I think if he goes to Miami, he's going to be under a little more pressure because, you know, Miami's been starving for that guy where the Chargers haven't. They've had Phillip Rivers for the last 17 years. Miami hasn't. And Fitzpatrick is Fitzpatrick, but he's, I mean, he's been playing for like 300 years. Like it's, it's Ryan Fitzpatrick. Like, you know, love the guy, but like that's not, you're not building your franchise around him. It's going to be more pressure for Tua to get in right away. I think it's crucial. Yeah where Tua ends up going, for sure. Yeah, so than any player that we've talked about in the first round who is legit, like, in the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, like, I think for quarterbacks, especially, especially like, like, where you go matters. Yeah. I think for quarterbacks, it's so important, like, your first two to three years of development, who you're learning from, like you said, what the system is, whether you're pressured to be out there right away, are you having turnover at coordinator or head coach, like, I mean, even Baker Mayfield, like, I like Baker a lot. I loved his accuracy most of all coming out of college. I mean, there's some personality things there that, I, you know, I'd probably tweak. But um, I, I just – I feel bad for him. Like, how can you even – how can you get ahead every year you've got a new coach? Halfway through the year you've got a new coach and a new coordinator. Like, that's so much change. Anyone in any business would lose their mind. Totally. Bortles had four coordinators in four years. Alex Smith, I think, had like six in his first seven years. In San Fran, yeah, it's crazy, and so it's, that, that's why it's like it's not the offensive coordinator's fault. Those guys, that just means they got fired. It's the owner, it's the ownership group. What are you doing around this guy? And I think two things: if you find a quarterback and he's and he can be your guy, one, you cannot take him too high. There's no such thing. Right. And two, he cannot sit for too long. There's no such thing. If you have a guy, if Tua can be your guy, and he is like, if you're the Chargers, and he can be your franchise quarterback. If you can just replace him with what she had just had, which is every year you have a chance to win a Super Bowl with Phillip Rivers. He's going to play at a high enough level, right? If you can replace him with that, then sitting him for one year or two years, if you're going to get that, look at Aaron. You can't sit him long enough and you can't take him high enough. One is not too high. So many people think, well, I got to, you know, if you're going to take somebody at four, he has to play this year. Like, really? That just means that the GM doesn't have three or four years on his contract. That just means that there's not enough job security. Because why? If he's going to be your guy who's going to check that box for you and you don't have to draft a quarterback for a long time, first comment you made, if you have a guy, you have a chance. You can't take him too high. You can't sit on him. Well, that I, I think for everyone except for, like, the number one or number two overall pick, that kind that I, I subscribe to that. Like, Baker being the number one overall pick, because that's kind of what Hugh Jackson tried to do in Cleveland. He had Tyrod, and he wanted to start Tyrod. He did start Tyrod and had Baker, and the idea was that he was going to sit. And obviously, we know what happened there, and it all fell apart after that. But 
I, I think if you're the number one overall pick, just for political purposes, the, the fans, like the hype, it's almost impossible for you to not come in right away and be starting. For guys like Tua or Justin Herbert or, you know, Jacob Eason or like, you know, Jordan Love, like that's obviously a different conversation. I think if you go number one overall, like Joe Burrow, like he's got to start day one, regardless yeah. of everything that's happening. Media marketing agree, but it just depends on, you know, who are you drafting and what is your plan? Burrow can play right away. Um, you know, there's no case of injuries. Um, different, his, his style is but different. He's the number one overall pick, also. Yeah, he is. But if he went third overall, I'd say he can play two. Tua, if Tua didn't get hurt, and let's say Tua was going to go number one, and I'd still say it's the same plan. He ran three different systems at Alabama. Um, here's the big difference, too. And the, and when you you mentioned it, you kind of blew past it when you said that that's some reason it's a knock that he played at Alabama. Yeah. Here's what how because I agree, and here's what I would would say is the reason for that. When you're in the NFL, I so I played on teams that went to the playoffs, and I've been on like two and fourteen teams, you know. And one of the things is every single Sunday, even when I played in Jacksonville and we were terrible, I played on a really bad Tennessee Titans team one year. Like every week, we thought we were going to win. Like we got a bunch of dogs in the room. Like we're not sitting here going, "Oh, we got the Patriots, we're going to get killed." No. In the NFL, every week, hey, this is what we're gonna do. We got a chance to we're gonna beat these guys, right? That's not the case in college football. I played at Utah. When we played Texas Tech, when we played Arizona State, these bigger schools, I had a bunch of guys on my team who would have gone there had they got an offer from there. So before the game started, like we're playing a better team, we're gonna win. Like when Norfolk State plays Clemson, it doesn't matter about the weather, about who's playing, about what the game plan is. Norfolk State is not going to be Clemson. Right. It's just not going to happen. Nobody on Norfolk State thinks they're going to win, and nobody on Clemson thinks they're going to lose. So when you're Bama, there's only one, maybe zero, one, or two times a year when every single person on your sideline isn't absolutely convinced that you are going to thunder punch this other team. Fair? Fair. So I look at at the, the games that Tua started. I would say there's probably only one game in his career where it was 50-50 at best in terms of either way. This game could go either way, man. These dudes are probably just as good as us. And they got the brakes beaten off of them by Clemson in that national championship game. The difference is how do you play when you're going into a game and you go, these other guys are way better than us. I don't know. If you haven't done that since – so he was on an amazing team in high school. And when you play at Bama, everybody on your team – think about it. It's not like I think I can, I think I can, the little engine that could. It is a fundamental belief that, like, it doesn't even matter if we start off down. We're going we're gonna to crush these dudes. That's not how the NFL works. Right. Yeah, everyone thinks they can win, but you don't definitively know that. And so that confidence has to come from the quarterback. And if the first time you've ever had to generate that confidence for somebody else is in the league – that's a hard thing to do. It's doable, but that's a hard thing to do. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is a, it's a completely different world when it comes to that. Um, but I, yeah, I always say that. That's why I always think that the idea of tanking is nonsense. Like players don't tank. Nobody yeah. cares about that tanking nonsense if you're a player. Um, Jordan, thank you so much. I know you're a super busy guy. I could talk to you about this for like the next three hours, but um, I have like 500 other questions, so maybe we'll do it another time. Um, well, yeah, yeah, it's super fun. I'm such a fan of you and, uh, and, uh, and Colin as well. and so. 
this is a great conversation. I love it. Let's do it again. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Stay safe and um, excited to see what you do with QBSummit.com. Make sure you check that out. And um, can anyone follow you anywhere else? Or you want to yeah, the easiest way to follow me is on Instagram right now. Um, just my name, Jordan Palmer. Um, Twitter, uh, I don't do a good enough job on there. But yeah, I'm in the process as we go through this coronavirus of moving everything to QBSummit.com. So kids and players and actually parents too. Uh, I'm creating an amazing resource for players to learn more about the position and be able to essentially through videos that I shoot with NFL guys, college guys, coaches, every resource I have available to me. Um, this is going to be a one-stop shop for quarterbacks um, actually all over the world to be able to advance their game. And then the parents too, for them to learn from the best dads, learn from the best moms. Um, it's going to be an incredible ecosystem we're looking to launch by the end of May. Awesome. Well, congratulations on your continued success. Stay safe and um, I'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Okay, thanks. With it. With it. What? With it. We about to turn up in this bitch. All right, hella, hella. Hella, hella. Hella. What's going on? Hella, hella. Hey, 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 hey. I'm starting to lose it a little bit. That's okay. It's it's uh, quarantine day. Lose it. Yeah. Uh, I'm going. To, I'm, I have the sleepies today. The quarantine sleepies. Okay. Got the sleeves. Well, let's wit it or quit it, and then maybe you'll wake up, wakey uppy. Wakey uppy. What's going on? Yeah. Wit it or quit it. Uh, recently, the face of the Bengals franchise, from the '84 draft to eternity, equated Bengals drafting Joe Burrow, hypothetically, of course, to the Cavs drafting one LeBron King James. In doing so, Asiasen essentially compared himself to Larry Nance Sr., which is a whole other thing to try to dissect. But joy. Joe Burrow will not bring LeBron-level greatness to the natty. Would it or quit it? Yeah, I'm going to have to quit it. Mm. Um, But I will say, I don't know. So here's how I look at it, right? Like, everyone talks about LeBron being a hometown guy and, yeah. like, staying in Cleveland and going back yeah. to Cleveland and all that stuff. And it's a great story. It's a wonderful story. I've never cared about that story, but... I'm also the kind of person that's moved around a lot in my life. You know, I lived, right. I was born and raised in Pittsburgh. I love Pittsburgh, 412 for life. Um, and then I lived in Daytona. I lived in Miami. I lived in California. Like I've, I've been in a bunch of different places for, you know, a young person. So it's not that I have loyalty issues, but I just think, um, you know, I have a little more macro picture of the world, okay? And there's nothing wrong right. with that. But this whole idea that he has to stay in Cincinnati, like he has to be a part of Cincinnati because he's from Ohio, it's just like a wee bit overblown. It's not my favorite pitch because the reality is we know what Cincinnati is and the same way that we knew what the Cleveland Cavaliers were. I also don't like the comparison of NBA to NFL in this case because that's too much pressure to put on Joe Burrow. Now, listen, right. I think Joe Burrow is a great prospect. I love the kid. I can't wait to see him play. I'm sad that I'm probably going to have to watch him play in Cincinnati. And he's going to be running for his life because he's playing in the AFC North. Um, and I don't trust anything that Cincinnati does. And that's no diss to Cincinnati. It's just like, show me the evidence that I should trust anything that you do. It doesn't Big exist. Big cats are making a comeback is what I'll say. That's, I mean, it's tough to Tiger argue with King, that. Bengal Tigers, Bengals, Big Cats making a comeback. Sorry, continue. Um, it, I mean, it is comeback season for Big Cats. I'm definitely, I'm with you there. But I just, I, I can't trust the Cincinnati Bengals. And LeBron coming to the Cavaliers, it, it, one player like LeBron can change, obviously, the course of history of an entire league. 
but also for that area. But the, but the issue is, and, and somehow everyone seems to forget this. So I, I don't, I feel, I feel, uh, you know, a bit like a Debbie Downer reminding everyone that LeBron didn't accomplish anything in his first stint in Cleveland. There were yeah, no championships. There was no success. If you call uh, getting to, to the dance a success, then good for you. I'm, I can kind of see how your high school went. You know, like you have to actually accomplish something. All right. Okay. You like that one? Yeah. So you, he had to leave to go to Miami, play under Pat Riley, Spolstra with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, go to four straight finals, win two championships before you could even think about coming back to right. Cleveland and, and, and doing something that actually can be measured as success. Yeah. So if we're comparing Joe Burrow's future in the NFL to what LeBron accomplished in Cleveland, then please factor in that he's going to have to get the hell out of Cincinnati in order to be successful. If we're just going to compare the right. two scenarios, because LeBron yep. didn't do anything that, I, that that anyone talks about in his first stint in Cleveland. Right. It was it, all we talked about was getting him out of Cleveland so that he could right. have a, a fighting chance of, of actually having a legacy in the NBA that was worthy of LeBron James. So, so to you... put all this on Joe Burrow, to compare him to Tom Brady, to compare him to Montana, to compare him to LeBron James, it, I think he can carry all of that because he's a confident kid. It's just the unfortunate fact that he's probably yeah. gonna end up in Cincinnati. Now, if the Dolphins pull off an all-time move and trade up to get him and Cincinnati gives it up, then I'm all in. Because I think that Joe Burrow not only fits the Miami swag and energy and just the culture of that city. I also think I also think exactly exactly cigar after the national championship like that just just fits in. You can get all the Cuban cigars you want down there. I like what Flores has done in the off season, and obviously that's my team. So like I think that he'd have an actual opportunity of having some real success in the NFL. But let's be serious. We, aside from the fact that it's Cincinnati, you have to consider what the division is. You must first win your division, right? right. Like that's how the NFL works. You have the Baltimore yep. Ravens and Lamar Jackson. You have Pittsburgh Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger. I don't know what Ben's going to be. He's looking ridiculous these days. The optics are terrible, but whatever. He's going to be You're better not. than Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges. We'll, we'll assume that. And then you have Cleveland, who has a great defense. Whatever's going to happen with Baker Mayfield, you still have Jarvis Lange and Odell Beckham there, who's going to be healthy this year. So I just don't like the scenario for him there. And it's like it's going to make me look wrong about Joe Burrow, which whatever. I really don't care about that. I just want to see him have a fighting chance and – I don't have any faith that's going to happen in Cincinnati. So what you're saying is, Joy, you don't think that the hometown element leads to winning necessarily? It doesn't guarantee just because you play in your hometown doesn't mean they're going to give you the tools to do it? I mean, it's a nice story, but that's it. That's and then, and it. then yeah. what? Because everyone talks about the LeBron story and they just conveniently leave out that he had to leave and go to a championship level organization to even begin considering going back to Cleveland to even try to accomplish what happened. Right. And, and, it, and even for that to happen, Draymond Green had to get suspended for a few games to pull that off. So yeah, did. like the, everything still had to fall in place. So this idea that like Joe Burrow's gonna go there and have this success that LeBron had, like, huh, LeBron left. He left, right. he left. Remember, do you remember? Left. So like then if if Joe Burrow has to leave to win a championship, I can assure you he ain't coming back. No, no. So, so then this is just not a good it's not a good comparison. Um, I would like to make one other point through slightly creepy Google. Uh, I was able to determine that St. Vincent St. Mary's High School where LeBron went is like 38 minutes away right now from Quicken Loans slash Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. Joe Burrow's high school, Athens High School, two hours and 41 minutes from Paul Brown Stadium. Is that 
staying where you grew up or no? No, it's Come not. On, guys. It's actually not. It's a huge stretch yeah. and, and yep. it's a huge pitch. And I, I, I being the uh, realist that I am, which may somehow be disguised or confused for being a cynic, um, do not consider that to be a hometown. No. Right. It's, I mean, home state, I guess. But yeah, yeah, home state, cool. Pennsylvania yeah, is a pretty big state. Cool, whatever. Ohio is a pretty um, big state. California is an even bigger state. Yep, California is the best state. And speaking of California, joy. I've lived a very privileged life. Uh, Prince part of, of that privilege. Prince uh, of privilege, some might say. Yeah, it's, one might call me the Prince of Privilege. Uh, part of that privilege is rooted in enjoying constant success from my sports teams, from the Niners to the Giants to the Warriors. The Bay Area is sports rich. We're rich. So when the when the Warriors owner says the following about Kevin Durant leaving, I tend to agree with him. Yes, he left. That's negative. But the positive is we've got a chance to move forward quicker and to move into the next phase of what we're doing. Joy, I loved Kevin Durant as a warrior, as you can see by this hat of him jaying LeBron in the face. Uh, but the Warriors are better off without KD moving forward. Win it or quit it. That's uh, an absolute. An absolute. Oh, you're switching to the basketball? Yeah. That's an absolute quit for me. Um, what? I like this PR swing from Joe Lacob. Joey Lightyears. Uh, to try and, and, and retell the story that this is actually a good thing that Kevin Durant left Golden State and perspective is very important. It is. And and people many people have many perspectives on things and some of them are just not reality. And that's okay. That's their reality. And you can live and function in your own reality. You have that right. Um, and then the rest of us can live hmm. in the collective reality, which someone may consider to be uh real reality. So That's a good um, point. Yeah, so basically, this is this is not real. Um, it sounds good, but it's not. And his other pitch for everyone to believe that this is real is like, oh, well, he would have gotten hurt. He was hurt. You know what I mean? So Great we would have had a really high payroll. We wouldn't have been able to make moves. Nope. Um, it would have like handicapped us moving forward. Like, yeah, so but, but then moving forward, you would have had KD. Remember? Remember when you had KD? and Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. Remember what happens? Yeah, right there. It's right there. You you look at it. You you live it every day. You enjoy yep. the fruits of that situation. There's 100%. no two ways about this. Whatever happened in Golden State, whether it was Golden State's fault or Draymond Green's fault or just KD not feeling it, maybe it's no one's fault. It just wasn't really actually the fit. The media. It's the media. Or the media's fault. Uh, fake news, media, um, uh, whatever. <laughs> who knows whose fault it was, right? And sometimes there isn't a fault. It just doesn't work. Regardless, the Warriors are better off with KD, Klay Thompson, and Steph Curry. That's just facts. So it sounds nice. And listen, I think the Warriors are going to be a problem for some people next year. I think that everyone's forgotten how good Steph is and how good a healthy Klay is. And you're going to have a draft pick. And you've made lots of good moves that I think are great. It's very exciting. I know it's it's a great show, but there's no way, uh, no matter how you look at this thing, that you're better off without Katie. You didn't have any plans for the next phase of your organization if Katie would have stayed. So that wasn't even a conversation. You now have to have a next phase of your organization because Katie left. But Katie was the phase. Katie was Katie was that. That was that was the phase. He uh, we adapted the phase to include him, which was excellent, and I loved it. But there was a phase, there was two, I can think of three 
four phases, three of which were excellent before that, that led us to the point. And then Katie was just uh, solidified it as something. You know what? You made a good point. Solidified it as something in reality that everyone feared. Everyone feared it. Yeah. And they were scared. No were one scared, fears. No okay? one fears the Warriors and so anymore. It, and so, it, listen, you can say now that it's better that without KD, we're. We're still going to bring fear. It's going to be fine. No. You don't strike fear in the hearts of anyone who is concerned about whether you're contenders or not. They're going to be good, of course. You have a great organization. It's well run. Steph Curry and Clay Thompson are all-time great players. You're going to have a draft pick. Going to be a good team, but Mm -hmm. not contenders. And Mm -hmm. and that's because you needed KD. You remember, um, you know, what I was just talking about a few moments ago with Joe Burrow when you guys had uh, the the greatest regular season of all time and then blew – a uh, three-game lead. Yep. Remember when that happened? Yeah, when Kiki Vandeweghe that was the best player on the Cavs and suspended Draymond Green for Game Five, giving them a chance to get back into the series on some bullshit that LeBron had actually started. Yeah, I totally remember that. I, I agree, but I still, as a Cleveland hater, had to sit there and watch Kyrie hit that shot and LeBron win a championship in Cleveland, and I blame you. I blame Golden State for that. And so I don't want to hear anything about how you were better off without KD. Because as soon as KD got there, I didn't have to worry about hating on Cleveland anymore. I already knew what the deal was. I already knew exactly what kind of business they had for them in the finals. And that's exactly what they gave them. The business. And that's not going to happen now. And listen, I think that KD and Kyrie are not going to have some kind of easy situation in Brooklyn. Um, there's a lot going on there, but I do think that KD's going to come back as good as he was. Like this idea that KD's not going to be the same KD is silly nonsense. But the point is, I you ju- guys aren't better without KD. Um, I'll put it to you this way: KD was better with us. I don't that 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 Kyrie situation. Two things can be true. Terrible. Two things can it be sounds true. Sounds awful. <laughs> Two things can be true. Yeah, they went to they went to the New York Clippers, but we're, and I'm we're and we'll be better off than them. So how does that? I think based on that math alone, we're better off. Because if like he's leaving right and he goes somewhere else and they're not a threat and we're still good, we're better off. Math. That's that's a that's some privileged math there, but sure. simple privileged math. <laughs> Let's go. Today in sports history, in 1968, April 14th, 1968, was the first NBA game at Madison Square Garden. The Knicks beat the San Diego Clippers. Who would have known April 14th, 2020, we would still be having conversations about how dysfunctional the Knicks are and how we just wish they could get it together so that New York could have their Knickerbockers in the contention conversation. Still not happening. In fact, Jared Dudley said just this week that if the Knicks were not dysfunctional, Kyrie and KD would be there instead of in Brooklyn with the Nets. Also today, April 14th, 1995, the future of the state of Ohio and the Cleveland Browns would never be the same because today, April 14th, 1995, is the birth date of one Baker Mayfield, who is uh, much discussed, very controversial, polarizing, you might say, and up against it this year with a new coach, a will likely be healthy Odell Beckham Jr., um, a few additions to the defensive side of the ball, and it's on now. Lamar Jackson and the Ravens are going to come back strong. Ben Roethlisberger will be back with the Steelers. See how that goes. Probably be better than Mason Rudolph and uh, Duck Hodges. We'll assume that. And the great Joe Burrow in Cincinnati. Going to be an interesting year for Baker Mayfield.
Today in history. What up, Donnie? How you doing? Doing good. Hanging in there. How about you? Good. Just, um, you know, working, staying on the couch, watch TV. <laughs> um, it's not that bad, actually. I, I, I've been getting outside to go on runs and stuff, so I'm, stay, I'm trying to stay active, you know. Um, so what's going on with it or quit it this week? Just kidding. Not with it or quit it. Hikey Loki. What's going on, Hockey Loki, this week? Hockey, the NBA slash WNBA kicked off the first round of a horse competition on Sunday. Loki, I hadn't seen internet that bad since like 1999. <laughs> Do you remember the the first your first internet experiences? Do you remember the first time you went on the internet? I do, yeah. Um, I mean, not like the very first day, but like I remember getting the AOL, uh, like yeah, internet yeah. thing. Those discs. Yeah, yeah, and then like the dial up, and um, like yeah, yeah. I remember the first site I went to. Uh, my cousin had uh, internet before I did, and uh, Veggie Tales. I was a big Veggie Tales fan. At, at the end of Veggie Tales, they would say, "Go to VeggieTales.com," and that was like drilled in my head. So the first access I had to internets, I went to VeggieTales.com. Yeah, <laughs> I was a big uh, VeggieTales fan myself, and yeah, I don't, I don't remember the first website I went to, but yeah, it was, um, it was a definitely a different world, and that was what I felt like I was watching. And listen, to be clear, I fully support the effort. I understand it. I was excited to see what it was going to look like and how it was going to work, and you know, yeah. like what, how all of it was going to go, but. Yeah, so I saw like Zach Levine and uh, Paul Pierce, I think it was, yep. and I, I like just the beginning of it, and um, yeah, just <sighs> yeah. <laughs> it just... I mean, horse, horse isn't fun to watch anyway. It's more fun to play than to watch. I think it's one of those games that you have to be participating. It's not fun to be watching horse. And um, I mean, the NBA tried it before. It was in the All-Star game. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just not enough action. I I, I do think something like uh, knockout could be more fun. But yeah. Yeah. then you can't have two people next to each other. So this whole defeats the purpose of the, the game. But yeah, horse isn't fun to watch other people play. Um, and yeah, so just it, it really felt like, you know what it felt like? It felt like vegan cheese. Right, like a replacement that's just—it's just not necessary. It's really not going to work. It's it, cheese is cheese for a reason, and there's there's a way it's supposed to taste. And vegan cheese is just not it. Like I've tried vegan cheese. I have friends that are vegan and vegetarian. I appreciate it. I get it. You know what I'm saying? But like, it's just yeah. there's just certain things that are not cheese and horse. It's not cheese. Horse is not, horse is not really sports. It's it's just an activity, and it just didn't it didn't work. But I fully appreciate the effort. No knock on it. I just I could I tried to get into it, and I just couldn't do it. Yeah, I'm hoping for a dunk competition. Maybe something like that would uh, be a little bit better, horse, or is that like outside of uh, the realms of possibility? Too athletic, you know. Um, I don't know. I just feel like the delay, like the lack of reaction. It just didn't work. Like it was, it was really yeah. something that just did not play on television. There was not enough going on for it to really be compelling. But again, like I, I appreciate the effort. I'm not, it's no diss. It just, it didn't work for me. We need real sports. Real sports, please. Yes. <laughs> All right, high key. 
Sources say Anthony Lynn and the Chargers are legitimately bullish on Tyrod Taylor. Loki, what does bullish mean? Bullish, I think bullish means like, I don't know, like a bull is very serious and like, they're like digging in, you know, with like their hoof. Yeah. And when got I the... hear bullish, I think of like, I think of Smokey Rooms and Teddy Roosevelt for some reason. Like, <laughs> I think of heated conversations and like cigars. Yeah. That's just me. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of a good analogy too. They're they're into it, which makes sense with Anthony Lynn's tie to Tyrod Taylor and what Tyrod Taylor's done. I think it's a good situation that the Chargers are in, even if they do end up trading up in the draft or getting Tua or Justin Herbert. It gives them the flexibility to not have Tua or Herbert start right away. And look, we have to take everything into consideration this year. So this is not a normal year. It's not a normal year for anyone. So even if the, this was normal circumstances, which they're not, but even if it was, it would be nice to have your organization be run for a year, maybe two, by a professional who has had success before. You saw what he did with the Bills. You saw what he was able to do with the Browns in a short amount of time, keeping that situation steady for Baker Mayfield. And now he's been with your organization so he's he's there he's not coming in anew it, it's right. a good situation for the chargers because now he if, if this wasn't all going on he could be the starter give Tua another year to learn how to be a pro some more recovery time learn the system don't throw him out there to the wolves which in Tua's case has been his biggest problem because he extends plays beyond what he should and with Herbert, he still feels a little raw. So that would be a perfect situation to have Tyrod be the starter for at least this year, possibly next year as well. He's shown that he can do it and he deserves the opportunity. But that said, we can't ignore what's going on. Tyrod is a vet. He is a proven veteran at that. We are going yeah. to have delayed training camps because of everything that's happening. So you're in a situation where you almost have to have Tyrod be the starter and so why not sell it? Because these guys are going to come in. They're not going to be able to have their normal interactions with coaches and staff and facilities yeah. and, and, you know, off-season programs and development. That's not going to happen it's, it, it, right now. So it's going to be delayed. So you want Tyrod to be confident, know that it's his team, and it should be his team in this situation and moving forward for at least this year as it is. So I'm normally very high on if it's a, you know, first round top 10 draft pick, you should be out there starting. But I think these situations really vary. And it's it's a, it's a lot different this year. Yeah, these circumstances are different. And like, like you said, he's got to leg up on any quarterback that they pick up, regardless if it's in the draft or in free agency, because like you said, he's been there for a year already. And he's he knows the system. Um, I'm a Tyrod fan. So I'm, I'm rooting for his success. Yeah, no, I, I, I like Tyrod a lot, too, and I think he deserves an opportunity. I was really surprised the Bills moved off of him. Um, Josh Allen hasn't really done much more than Tyrod did there. I mean, he's younger, and they feel like he has uh, more upside. We'll see. Uh, I think this is a big year for them to prove that. But, yeah, I, I, hope, Ty, I hope Tyrod has success with the Chargers, and it's going to be his team this year. High key, college football's best and brightest are getting jobs next week. Low-key, live from Roger Goodell's basement, it's the NFL Draft! Hey! Sound effects, sound effects. That's what it's going to be like. Yeah, exactly. so, so, Roger Goodell will be announcing the first round draft picks from his basement, which sounds um, kind of hilarious, but I'm sure Roger Goodell's basement is a palace, um, probably bigger than most of our uh, houses. 
but he is the NFL commissioner, so that's how it goes. Um, I'm I'm really excited for the draft this year, more than I've been for a draft in a long time. And I would be this excited for this draft even if all this wasn't going on and it wasn't the only thing to watch because, first of all, the Dolphins have 14 picks in this draft. Um, there's going to be a lot of trades in the top 10 because of everything that's going on with the quarterbacks. But now it's even better because all that's going on and it's the only thing on. It's the only thing live. Everyone is going to be glued to everything that's going on. And I think the NFL is going to do a really good job with the broadcast because everyone's dealing with the same circumstances. I think people like the the rawness, the um, you know, kind of behind the scenes feel of everything that's going on because we know it's all going to go back to the polished studio and sets and everything else that we normally have once this is over. But so you're just kind of seeing a different side of everything that that goes on. You know, you're seeing inside of people's homes, um, you know, what they wear when they're chilling, when they don't have hair and makeup and suits and stuff. So the one thing I did read today though is that the NFL is being very restrictive with the. Um, like what what prospects can wear, um, like what they're allowed to drink in the videos, um, which I don't know if is normal or not. I can't imagine that that's something that they usually put out. I mean, they probably don't want guys drinking when they're celebrating that they got drafted, which, I mean, they're pretty big partners with some pretty big <laughs> beer and alcohol uh, companies. It's pretty <laughs> significant part of the game day experience. But I, I do get the optics of it, which is fine. Um, but either way, I think the draft's going to be one for the ages for lots of reasons, not just because, you know, it's the one thing that we all have to watch. I think it's just going to be a lot of movement, a lot of impactful um, decisions being made and uh, I'm just I can't wait for it like I'm I'm so excited a week away you got the Jordan doc coming up the draft um, oh, after that the schedule comes out so like we're rolling you know like there's there's a lot happening outside of, of sports obviously that we're all having to pay attention to but it's a nice escape and I'm really grateful that the NFL decided to go forward with it the one thing that is going to be a little weird is uh, seeing the players not surrounded by their families on the big couch when they get drafted, that's going to be a little bit different. I'm going to be, I'm curious as to how that's going to be when they like limit it to, I think I read six people per uh, like household for the, for draft parties. So um, I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know how they can limit it. It depends on where the person is and what the like regulations are for that state. I'm sure. Um, cause like, you know, certain yeah. places are more intense than others, but I'm sure they're not going to have large, massive groups of people, obviously. But, you know, if you can have a, a group of 10 or whatever it is, um, then, you know, it, it look, yeah. you can't control everything. So I, as much as it's going <laughs> to, it's going to try to be controlled. This is the biggest day of these kids' lives. And they're already going to not be able to walk out onto the stage and shake Adele's hands and get that moment. Yeah. So it's going to be hard to control every aspect yeah. of what goes on. But to me, like those those factors don't even matter in it. Like, I mean, obviously you want to make sure everybody's safe, but like worrying about like what they're wearing and stuff. It's like it's just all enjoy the moment. Everyone's yeah. going to be cool. It's going to be fun, and um, I'm really looking forward to it. Hey, sports. Hi, T. Happy belated Hi. birthday. How was your big day? It was good. It was a great day. I mean, I got up and just got to work. And then um, towards like the end of the day, my friends surprised me with balloons, cupcakes. And uh, we, I did, we had three virtual Zoom happy hours. So I was definitely 
tipsy by like seven. So, but it was fun. It was a great time. I got a lot of presents. I actually got a lot of love. So felt really special. That's good. It's, it's, um, it's kind of interesting, like the things that are going on right now. Cause I, I didn't know anybody who like, um, like that close to me that had a birthday, but like my brother's uh, um, wedding got postponed. So like went through that experience with them about having to postpone the wedding because of Corona, you know, people are having birthdays and obviously, you know, graduations and missing prom and things like that. Um, so I'm glad you had a, a good day um, despite the, the situation. But when it's all over, we can go celebrate properly. Celebrate. <laughs> Absolutely, I'm down. Um, so, what's going on in the culture <laughs> report this week? Spot from insecure. Yes, one exactly. of those spots Issa recommends. Exactly. Um, so, what's going on in the culture report this week? Okay, so on April 18th, there's going to be a, an historic multi-hour digital and broadcast event that will take place in, in hopes of bringing the world together. It will feature some of our favorite artists and comedians in honor of celebrating um, and supporting healthcare workers and people that are on the front lines and uh, World Health Organizations uh, to fight against COVID-19 pandemic. So again, it's Saturday, April 18th from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. So on ABC, uh, CBS, NBC, and then you can also stream it. It's going to be on YouTube, Instagram and everything. And then it's hosted by Jimmy Kimmel, uh, Jimmy Fallon and Stephen Colbert. That's amazing. So, so who are some of the yeah. performers that are going to be doing it? Um, so Lady Gaga is going to be there. Um, John Legend, Lizzo, Stevie Wonder. I also saw that Sabrina and Idris Elba is going to be there. So it's going to be a lot of people. Well, by so being there, gonna... they're going to be on. <laughs> so we'll right. all be like, together. Yeah. Be on, not be there, but yeah, be on. Well, so. Idris had had uh, COVID-19. He had corona. Yeah, and, and, Sabrina, and Sabrina had it too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's fun. Yeah. And, you know, he's a DJ. Yeah. So maybe he'll it be was doing a, movie... a little set or something. Yeah. I didn't even know he was a DJ until I saw some movie on Netflix that showed him as a DJ. And I'm like, oh, I didn't. I just thought he was an actor. Yeah. What is that? What's that movie called? <sighs> it's like Peter or Noah or something. <laughs> I don't know. I, I know which one you're talking no about. No idea. I know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, well, that's exciting. So that's this Saturday. That's something um, that'll be cool to watch live. What else is going on? Next, we're going to talk movies. So I, okay, I haven't seen Four versus Ferrari, but I know you have. And I definitely watched the trailer and it looked really good. What are your thoughts about that movie? So I, I'm still kind of binging Ozark. I, wa I watched like a little bit at a, at a time. I rewatched mm -hmm. uh, True Detective season one. This is the only season worth watching. Um, this yeah. weekend, but I also watched The Irishman. So I'm kind of now deciding that I'm going to work through all of the Oscar movies that I hadn't seen. So mm -hmm. I saw The Irishman, I saw Parasite, I saw Ford vs. Ferrari. Next up, I'm going to watch um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which, by the way, why is it $20? Can I rent it? Excuse me, that's very expensive <laughs> for a movie. Um, we're in quarantine. Like, bump it down, <laughs> you know, it's a little unreasonable, yeah. Quentin. Anyway, so I'm going to watch that one. But Four vs. Ferrari was really good. I cried at the end. I didn't know what to expect because I'm like, it's, like, it's a racing movie. You know, like obviously yeah. great actors, Christian Bale, Matt Damon, and a lot of other great actors in that movie as well. Yeah. But I didn't know what to expect, but I, I really enjoyed it actually. It was really interesting and 
I really want to go to it's this isn't this race isn't in this movie, but I ever since I saw Fo you ever see Focus with Will Smith and no, Margot Robbie? I haven't seen it. What? Oh my god, what a good movie. You have to watch that. It's an easy watch. Okay. Focus. I'll check that out. Yes. Along with okay. Four it's it's like a sexy movie. It's fun. It's an, it's a it's it's a good movie, but it's like I don't know, but just watch it. But anyway, ever since I saw that movie, okay. I'm like, I want to go to Monte Carlo and see the race. Like, I don't, I'm not a huge racing fan, but it looks like such a like glamorous champagne event and uh, all international. So I want to go. Yeah. But it, it this movie has a little touch of that kind of scene. So uh, mm -hmm. it's it's really good though, and it's it has a great ending. And it's a true story. You see, you cried at the end. Yeah, I cried. Oh gosh. I mean, in all fairness, I had a few glasses of wine by the time we got to the end, so <laughs> I was like, eh, uh, you know, this is this is a little sadder than I expected, <laughs> but it's a true story, so um, so I recommend it. So I'm working through all, all the Oscar movies now. Got it, got it. Well, you mentioned True Detective, and I didn't, I've never seen it, but I did watch the trailer, and it looked really good. It gave me like dark crime story, and I also heard that it's one of like the best series out. Or one of the best series ever made, rather. So you've never seen True Detective? I've never seen it, no. I'm going to start it tonight. Yeah, so True Detective season one. You only have to watch season one. Season two, it's a colossal waste of time. And I tried to get through <laughs> season three um, because I love Mahershala Ali, but it just it didn't pick up in time for me to get all the way through it. Although season mm. three is better than season two. From what I've seen. Got it. But season one is very dark. If you haven't seen it, it's definitely worth a watch, but you have to be mentally prepared to watch something very dark during this time. Because it's what kind of one of those shows like um, Black Mirror or uh, Handmaid's Tale, where like you watch it and yeah. the, the, like the material is so heavy, you're like, you know, and it's sad too. So it's it's yeah. like you have to be in a good emotional space to watch it. But since I've already seen it, Gosh. I already like knew okay. it was coming. So I got to like reevaluate the characters more. Matthew McConaughey's performance is just incredible. Woody Harrelson, unbelievable. It's such a great show. In my opinion, season one, True Detective, is one of the best show seasons and shows like in television history so i, I highly what? recommend it i enjoyed watching it again because i loved okay. it so much um but yeah it's great you should definitely watch it if you're in the headspace i'm gonna check it out so does that mean that matthew mcconaughey and woody harrelson are not on season two and three no so it every it's kind of like um american horror story where like it's it's american mm -hmm. horror story but every season there's a new cast Got it. Okay. Um, which I think is how that show works. But yeah, so there's a totally new cast for season two, totally new story, no continuance from season one. Season three, same way, totally new cast, no like no continuance from, from season two. It's all like independent season, independent cast and stories. So got it. Well, I'm excited to start it. I will watch it tonight and I'll let you know what I think. <laughs> so my only my only note is it's definitely something to really pay attention to. Um, so it's okay. not like one of those like casual watch through shows. You can kind of get the the gist of what's going on, and it it's a lot of setup until the fourth episode, and then the fourth episode goes like crazy. <laughs> it's so good. I'm excited. Yeah. Oh goodness, I'm probably gonna get through it. By the way, I'm probably gonna get through it with by tonight because that's remember I told you I I binge. Yeah, I'm a you binger. have a binge problem. So, you like you yeah. Watch, what did you watch two three seasons of uh, Queen of the South in a week? I did. <laughs> 
Th- thank God I can't find season four. Thank God for that because it'd be over. It's amazing. <laughs> um, all right. Anything else? Yeah. So, okay. So we all know the Insecure premiered on Sunday, uh, season four. And we're really excited about it because we love Insecure. It's super relatable. And I'm not going to lie, Joy, the best part of that episode was when Issa said, where your exes at? Let me run up on them like you run up on mine. Like that was by far the best part of the episode. What did you think about it? Oh my God. Okay. Well, so I think I'm, I think I'm good on Lawrence's character. Yeah. Um, as a whole being so like such a big role in Issa's life. Like they haven't been together for a while now. Like there's been significant relationships in between their relationship. So like this idea that this girl, um, that Issa's working with, like it would be such a problem that she's dating Lawrence and they're working together professionally, even if they are like becoming cool is kind of dramatic. Like no new friends, you know what I mean? Like even if she was starting to get cool and like she was vibing with this girl that she's working on the block party project with, yeah. It, it shouldn't be that deep that like if she was hanging out with Lawrence that it would be that awkward. Like why is he still yeah. matter that much? It's I thought we're we're done with that. Like you left him, we're good. We've we've moved on. I do think it's shady that um her friends that Amanda Seals Tiffany, Tiffany didn't tell her. Yeah. But that's kind of Tiffany's mode though. Um so it wasn't surprising that she just didn't mention it, but I I I, I think that's like more of the, I want to see if that develops into anything rather than like yeah. what happens with the, that girl and Lawrence, which no one should care. And for that girl to be that dramatic about it, like, oh my God, it's just it's a lot to process. Like, are y'all, like, are you and Issa roommates or something? Like you're working on a project yeah. together. It's really not that deep. Yeah, it seemed very dramatic. Even at the block party when they were, you know, talking over each other. It was just weird. I'm thinking in my head, am I the only one that feels like I would not ruin an amazing business partnership with someone over a guy, especially an ex? Not a not over so, a man, honey, just, no. Like, mm, not not over an ex man at that. Mm-mm, no, we got stuff yeah. to do. Mm-mm, no. It it just felt like really dramatic. I am very interested in the Molly Issa relationship storyline though like I want to see what happens with that and for that matter can Molly just get it together with the men because girl you know she she need to get it together with men and herself because she was annoying as she's just so I feel like everybody has a Molly in their lives like she makes everything about her and it blows my mind but she's just just like a good friend though like she's always there for Issa but it's like like he yeah. said, he's he's going on other dates. Like, why would you assume he's not going on other dates? Did y'all have a conversation about not going on other dates? This is a normal conversation to have. Yep. Why is that weird? I don't know. I just can't yeah, wait. That, for, I can't wait for the next eating. episode. And I will be on my couch, uh, sitting there. I hope it doesn't coordinate with the Jordan documentary. <laughs> but if it does, I'll, I'll just watch it afterwards. But yeah, I'm I'm loving. It. I'm so glad Insecure is back. Okay, well, thanks, T. Hope you're uh, being Bye. safe and happy belated birthday again. And enjoy uh, True Detective if you start watching it. I will. Thank you so much. Have a great week. You too. Thanks for joining us this week on the Maybe I'm Crazy podcast. Make sure you go to YouTube and subscribe. And you can listen to the podcast on any podcast platform that you like. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, iHeartMedia app. Check us out on social media at Maybe I'm Crazy Pod on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And uh, send us a note. We like hearing from you. We appreciate it. Thanks again for joining us. Make sure you subscribe, and we'll catch you next week. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm not. Oh.